At God Said, Man Said, we are ever impressed with the magnificence of God's Word. In Ephesians 3.8, the Bible uses this phrase, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable riches, how marvelous a concept, unsearchable riches. The majority text Holy Bible is not simply printer's ink and paper, but it is spirit and truth. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Revelation 19.13 speaks of Jesus Christ, and it reads, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Searching through the Scriptures is the entrance to the very mind of God. It is the entrance to the staggering power of the supernaturally spoken Word with complete instructions on how to harness the literal power and glory of God. But these marvels are only accessible to the childlike, to the born again. Are you born again, born a second time, this time of the Spirit of God? In Ephesians 3.9, the Apostle Paul pens the words, The fellowship of the mystery. Are you ready to participate in this fabulous mystery? Begin your journey today on the path of unsearchable riches. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Genesis chapter 10, verse 5, By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, every one after his tongue, after their families in their nations. God said, John chapter 10, 34 through 36, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, Say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God? God said, Psalms 119, 160, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Man said, The Bible is simply a compilation of ancient legends passed down to man by mere men. There is no God and, consequently, no inspired truth. Now the record. For 6,000 years, Satan has paraded his champions before the sons of Adam to proclaim the superiority of his dark words over the words of the living God, the God of the Bible and creator of all that is. The vast hordes of the sons of Adam have embraced his deadly diatribe, but the sons of God have a different story to tell. God said, man said, employs a foolproof platform to establish the full inerrant perfection of the words of God found in the majority text authorized King James Version of the Holy Bible. Platform number one, archaeology, paleontology, geology, and ancient history are used to establish the perfect historical account of the word of God, miracles and all. Every single account, what unbelievers call ridiculous, is certified. The earth's creation, first man, first woman, the Garden of Eden, the fall of man, Noah's Ark, giants, 911 average years, the confounding of the languages at the destruction of the Tower of Babel, and more, all true and faithful. 2. Prophecy coupled with the laws of probability establishes the supernatural nature of Holy Writ. The God of all tells the end from the beginning, placing his signature on this holy book. 
There are hundreds of prophecies in the Bible from ancient events that came to pass already to prophecies that are today's current events, such as the establishment of Israel as a nation in 1948. For 2,500 years, Israel was absent from the world globe, but today they are front and center. When God's prophecies are coupled with the laws of probability that a man could have made a particular prediction and then have that prediction come to pass, the probable laws of this happening take the skeptics far beyond reasonable doubt. Number three, God said, man said, the record is proof platform number three. Here we lay out God's instructions to man, man's disregard for God's instructions, and the very obvious deadly consequences. This category is by far the largest, covering subjects ranging the entire gamut, from olive oil, honey, and vegetarian crocodiles, to ghosts, male-female relationships, and gay marriage. The deleterious results of man's rejection of God's perfect instructions are certain proof that God's commandments are true and righteous altogether. Number four, historicity of Jesus Christ is proof platform number four. Many believers are shocked to discover that in the camp of the skeptics, there are those who reject the idea of a Jesus Christ, asserting that he was a fictitious figure, or at best, he was not as the scriptures portray. Here on platform four, you will discover marvelous proofs of the glorious Christ in his miraculous birth, ministry, crucifixion, and resurrection. You and I, as believers, are required to live our lives and even stake our physical lives and hopes of eternity upon the words of God. It is colossally imperative that I establish its bona fides. Everything hangs upon its every word. First Thessalonians 5.21, Prove all things! Hold fast that which is good. You have arrived at God said, man said. Proof that God is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This feature will be listed under the proof platform number one, archaeology. William Cooper, author of the book After the Flood, spent decades in his research of the world's most ancient documents that are commonly known to the biblically literate as the Table of Nations, found in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 10 and 11. In these two chapters, the roots of the peoples of the earth are laid bare. Over 100 names and places are listed. The list, list is foundational to the world's family tree, and from these progenitors, the nations were formed. Mr. Cooper spent decades researching Genesis chapters 10 and 11. In his introduction, we find the following paragraphs. When I first came across the problem some 30 years ago, I found it most perplexing. On one hand, I had the Bible itself claiming to be the very Word of God, and on the other... I was presented with numerous commentaries that spoke with one voice in telling me that the Bible was nothing of the kind. It was nearly a hodgepodge collection of Middle Eastern myths and fables that sought to explain the world in primitive terms whose parts had been patched together by a series of later editors. Modern scientific man need have nothing whatsoever to do with it. Now, it was simply not possible for both these claims to be valid. Only one of them could be right, and I saw it as my duty to myself, at least, to find out which was the true account and which was the false. 
So it was that I decided to select a certain portion of Genesis and submit it to a test which, if applied to any ordinary historical document, would be considered a test of most unreasonable severity. And I would continue that test until either the book of Genesis revealed itself to be a false account, or it would be shown to be utterly reliable in its historical statements. The test that I devised was a simple one. If the names of the individuals, families, peoples, and tribes listed in the table of nations were genuine, then those same names should appear also in the records of other nations of the Middle East. Archaeology should also reveal that those same families and peoples are listed in Genesis, or not as the case may be, in their correct ethnological, geographical, and linguistic relationships. I allowed for the fact that a good proportion of those names would not appear. Either the records that once contained them had long since perished, or the diversity of language and dialect had rendered them unrecognizable. Some would be lost in obscurity. It simply was not realistic to expect that every name would have been recorded in the annals of the ancient Middle East and would also have survived to the present day. I therefore would have been content to have found, say, 40% of the list vindicated. In fact, that would have been a very high achievement given the sheer antiquity of the table of nations itself and the reported sparsity of the surviving extra-biblical records from those ancient times. But when over my 25 years of research that confirmatory evidence grew past 40% to 50% and then 60% and beyond. It soon became apparent that modern wisdom in this matter was wide of the mark, very wide of the mark indeed. Today I can say that the names so far vindicated in the table of nations make up over 99% of the list, and I shall make no further comment on that other than to say that no other ancient historical document of purely human authorship could be expected to yield such a level of corroboration as that. And I will add further that modern biblical commentators must make of it what they will. But the test didn't stop there. I had determined at the very beginning that the test was to be one of unreasonable severity, so even the astonishing level of vindication so far achieved did not fully satisfy the requirements of the test. The reason for this was simple. The Table of Nations was written in the Middle East, but all the records consulted by me in investigating that table were also written in the Middle East. I therefore decided that the test should continue beyond those geographical bounds, and I carried the search into the records of the early peoples of Europe. I wanted to see, firstly, whether the same patriarchs mentioned in Genesis were evident in the most ancient genealogies and chronicles of the peoples of Europe, and I wanted also to access the level at which they, uh, these early peoples were aware of other events mentioned in Genesis. The important part of this test was that the documents and records consulted by me had to date from before the time that any given European nation was converted to Christianity. That was because it is too often alleged by certain scholars that the early Christian church, particularly the monastic community, was given to forgery and invention. So only documents that predated the coming of Christianity and its forging monks to a particular nation whose records I was consulting would be considered. This part of the test was crucial and was to yield as great a level of vindication for the 10th and 11th chapters of Genesis as the first part of the test End of quote. 
Several brief examples of Mr. Cooper's research follow. I have chosen Abraham, Sarah, his wife, and his brothers Nahor and Haran. They are listed in the 11th chapter of Genesis, Mr. Cooper writes. Haran. Haran was the youngest of his father's sons. He was born at Ur and died there at a young age. To his father, Terah, uh, is attributed the building of the city of Haran, Terah naming the place in his son's memory and honor. The city lay on the main highway to Nineveh from Karshemesh, and it is interesting to note in this context that the Assyrian noun for main road is Aranu. From its earliest days, Iran was one of the chief centers of moon worship, and we frequently read of its temple being restored and embellished by successive kings of Assyria. Its temple was indeed every bit as famous and well-subscribed as that at Ur, where the family originated, of course. Nimrod was also worshipped here, he being referred to in the inscriptions concerning him as the prince of the men of Haran. Nahor. The name Nahor is known from Babylonian inscriptions and from the clay tablets of Mari, which render the name Nahor. Nahor settled in Haran, which was later to become known as the town of Nahor. This appears in inscriptions from the reign of Ashurbanipal as Nehuru, the city's later ruins being known as the Assyrians as Tel Nehari, the mound or hill of Nahor. Abraham, the well-known founder of the Jewish people. There exists from Babylonia on early clay tablets that bears the name of a man called Abiramu, which is rendered Abraham, and the Ebliite tablets. Another bears the name of Sarai. That was Sarah, of course. Joseph, all Josephus, pardon me, also quotes the Babylonian historian Barosus as saying, In the tenth generation after the flood, there was a man among the Chaldeans who was righteous and great. Josephus, rightly in my opinion, regarded this remark as a direct reference to Abraham, even though Barosus didn't name him. Josephus tells us also that Hecateus and Nicolaus and Damascus both mention Abraham in their histories, end of quotes. For thousands of years, Satan's champions have challenged the words of the living God, and they have failed time after miserable time. God's word is the inerrant truth in every detail. It is a place to build a life that will last forever. God said, Genesis 10, verse 5, By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, every one after his tongue, after their families, in their nations. God said, John ten thirty four through 36, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God. God said, Psalms 119, verse 160, Thy word is true from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Man said, The Bible is simply a compilation of ancient legends passed down to man by mere men. There is no God and consequently no inspired truth. Now you have the record.